Daniel and put a mark there. Uh, we'll be getting there in a little bit. The book of Daniel. All right, today we're going to march on again with messages leading toward family camp this year at Camp Penile for the first time. Uh, we're going to use the, and we've been using the allegory of a building a house as compared to the building strong Christians and strong Christian families. Now we brought out the fact that before you build your house, you must purchase land to build the house upon. You know, many people go and they say they buy a house. But when you look at your deed, there is no mention of any structures. You purchase a plot of boundaries defined by plotted coordinates, landmarks, a legal description, and perhaps some restrictions upon that piece of land. But if you're going to buy a piece of land, there's a few things that must come into play. The land must be for sale, for one thing. You must be of legal age to purchase it. You must be able to pay for it or finance it. If you finance it, you need to make the payments timely or get foreclosed upon. Yes, that happens. You must pay the taxes to keep it, even if you have it paid off. You never really ever completely own land. I mean, we can brag on being out of debt, but we're still never out of debt. Just, just fall back on paying your taxes. Now, don't do that, because <laughs> it's not a good thing when that happens. You may not think about this, but even the possession of your land depends on your ability to defend it. That's why we have a country. It's because we can defend it. If we can't defend it, we don't have a country. Other, sometimes people make legal claims against it. The government pressures you out of it. Or you have to physically fight for it like we talk like, think of Ukraine right now. The land we live on here, the houses we build, the businesses we have, boils down to being something borrowed, something that involves continual work and finances, to keep and maintain. Proverbs 24.30 says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles and had covered the face thereof and the stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Ever notice what a pristine golf course looks like with just even a month of neglect? It is amazing. I often ponder how much mulch I have bought over the years and wonder where it goes. I'm on my second full skid of it. I'm hoping that lasts a couple of years. Everything that pertains to this life requires continual work to keep up. Whether property, business, health, possessions, they all require work, don't they? It does not matter whether rich, poor, renter, homeowner, homeless person, and I've decided to throw in the Yeti and Bigfoot in, in this as well. Now, I'm not sure. I think those two are the same, but maybe just different colors, uh, depending on, I don't know. But they all must, we all must work to maintain life and that, that this life is really unpredictable. 
and that the satisfaction of this life is uncertain and all life is mortal. It ends in death, doesn't it? This is a cursed world that everyone is born into, everyone is bound to, and everyone will commit their body to one day, lest you make the rapture. You are the tenant, and Satan is your landlord. The book of Ecclesiastes well describes this unpredictable world of wild wandering and woes. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath the man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Unpredictable, irrational, and incomprehensible, this bizarre land that we live on is not worth building upon. The land is shifting sand. Build your life on the temporal pleasures of this world and the storms of life will utterly and eternally destroy it. But there's another piece of land. A land that is worth building on. It's a very different kind of land. It's a land that is fairer than day and by faith you can see it afar. The Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. It's called the sweet by and by. It's also known as a mansion just over the hilltop and a sweet land where we never grow old. Someday yonder, we will never more wander but walk on streets that are pure as gold. It's also called Beulah Land in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 4. Far away from the noise of strife upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth beset on every hand. Doubt and fear and things on earth in vain to me are calling. None of these shall move me from Beulah land. This is spiritual land, perfect land, eternal land. This is the land well worth building upon. It's a land that we dig deep and place our foundational walls on a rock that will not move. That rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. The building of a Christian life and a Christian home starts with salvation, the believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It all starts there. Nothing spiritual is built except to be built upon that rock. It is at salvation we become a child of God. And listen to this, we don't buy this land. We inherit the deed of a special piece of spiritual land that no person in the world other than you is equipped to possess and fulfill the purpose in that piece of spiritual land that God gives you. You and you only. We talked about the foundational walls of a spiritual house. Walls made by the pouring of God's word in forms of parental godly examples. God's word flowing in and around the woven rebar of correctly formed doctrines solidified into a single unit with external walls of protection against the lies and wiles of the devil, yet internally providing love and acceptance within those walls. Last week we talked about the influence upon our children in the home described as being equally heavy-weighted measures of both nurture and admonition. This afternoon we're going to go to the play area of the house. And we're going to recognize the unique gifts that are given to every child, including you, and how to develop those gifts and learn how to guide them in the proper development of those gifts. There's much to discover and learn concerning the gifts of God and the proper development 
of them. So today's title, or the title of today's message is Dare to Raise a Daniel, and it's going to be part one. So let's pray. Father, as we delve in to how you, as we become saved, we, we are endowed with, with gifts, we're endowed with a purpose, and you've given us everything to beautify that piece of land that's going to ultimately glorify you. But there's some work involved in how we look at those gifts, how we understand those gifts, how we develop those gifts. And so, Lord, may you teach us something today. May you encourage us. May you challenge us in our life as uh, not just as, as, as we try to develop the children, but our own lives. And, Father, we'll just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it. No, you didn't know you was getting all these special songs from me today, did you? The Daniel of the Bible certainly is probably one of the greatest role models of character for the development of our children. Yes, we should dare to raise the spirit and character of Daniel in each of our children. But as always, you know what the best way to teach them? Is for you to display it by your example. So I'll leave you with the questions. Will you demonstrate in your own life the character of a Daniel? Will you be an example to your children of how to develop your God-given gifts, how to follow them and to live by purpose, how to stand and see your life used to give glory to God. Let's get this right first. You know, we're not looking to make our children into a Daniel. There is only one Daniel. You can't be it. There's only one you and nobody can be you. It sounds simple enough, uh, but it's going back to the foundational teaching that every person, every person is uniquely special and specially endowed to achieve what God created them to do. You got that? You say, ah, yeah, I got it. Well, why would you compare anyone with anyone? Why do you do that? Why would you say anything like, I wish his brother was, he was like his brother? You hear these kind of things said all the time. What a failure. Or when you have a tendency to exalt one child's gift higher than the gift of another child. You inadvertently are telling your other children that there are some gifts better than others and they're not as gifted as another child. That's a falsity. Every one of them are gifted. Every one of them are special. Every one of them have a unique purpose. We need to be careful in these areas. Another problem is when we feel sorry for someone who is disabled. I know that sounds rough. But I've come to the conclusion that we are all disabled to some extent. But when we feel sorry for someone who is more severely mentally, physically, or emotionally handicapped, we are saying in essence that God made a mistake. God does not make a mistake. He said he made them. There's a perfect fulfilling will for everyone and sometimes 
That has to be by a handicap. There's, there's no mistakes about it. We need to get real with that. We need to understand that. When we feel sorry for somebody, we are disabling them the more. The first thing our children need to recognize is that everyone is uniquely gifted. To recognize, to be comfortable in and develop our own giftedness, to celebrate others' giftedness, to see ourselves as equals working together toward a single purpose, and that purpose in 1 Corinthians 6.20 is for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Only those who are saved, who live in that land, that good land, can really have one singular purpose together. Otherwise, all that other land is just a bunch of battle and fighting and trying to raise each other above each other, have your own religions and thoughts. It's disjointed, it's disunified. But when we work for God and we see ourselves for who we are, we see each other for who they are, we can work together toward a unified purpose. We don't mean to, but we succumb to the ideals of the world. I even hear Christian parents, grandparents, or even pastors and their wives brag on the position of their children in life. The tone we send when bragging is that there are more important careers and positions. By doing so, we can create great divisions, unhealthy competitions, and problems of self-esteem inside the family unit. A home needs to be a place of unity, love, acceptance, and celebration of one another. And there's no better place to exhibit that than in a family or in a church. Arguably, Daniel may have been the most gifted teenager illustrated in the Bible. His story is really, it's remarkable. But not so much because he was gifted, but because he stood for God while using his gifts. All of us would like to raise a Daniel, wouldn't we? To have our children flourish in their adult careers, but we also want them to stand up for God and the truth. We want our children to live honorably when placed into compromising or questionable situations, no matter who it is that will try and intimidate them from standing for Christ. That's what we want. So how do we build our children's gifts, yet develop Christian character? The life of Daniel gives us some very focused areas that we can focus in on. First of all, we understand that Daniel's gifts were merely provided an entrance to a particular place of influence for God's glory. Our gifts and callings are simply the vehicles that get us to work. We had the analogy last week, you have to, uh, now I've got a plug to listen to last week's message. <laughs> we talked about the coffee in the coffee cup. You know, it's the coffee that we drink. The cup is just container really are uh, all these things and the gifts we have are just uh, they're vehicles they come in all sorts of forms you know if in, in in the analogy of going to work some walk to work some have a bike a car a truck a taxi that doesn't matter what matters is the form of transportation needs to be suitable to get us to work that's it all the other stuff is fluff if you live 40 miles from work, I don't think you should walk. <laughs> You'd be one good shape person, but you probably won't have much time at home. Now, when we see these gifts, 
that, that are given, we should recognize is that God has a purpose in them. I think there's no better time to recognize these gifts than, than when we see them early in life. I mean, grandmas and grandpas, I mean, we, we, we get time to just sit and just wander. Uh, each one of them is so unique, so special. You see God's uniqueness in these, in these children. We should be praying much about the will of God for our children and pray to God how to guide those children to develop those gifts. And this makes for good discussion for husbands and wives at, at home to talk about their children and look at them and pray for them. Daniel not only developed academically. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 1 here. He not only developed academically in his life, which would guide him into the place of influence that God wanted him in, but he also developed socially, which was equally important in getting Daniel to the place where God wanted him to serve. This was his place. This was his land. This was his spiritual land to be developed. Daniel 1.4, Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. It says no blemish. Hey, boy, that's a nice thing, ain't it? <laughs> Good looks was necessary to get Daniel in the position where he was at. And God gave it to him. doesn't give all of us that. No comments. <laughs> but he gave it to Daniel, didn't he? Ability to stand in the king's palace, which means he had a proper manner, a poise, a confidence, and knowledge of social, social proprieties. He had manners and proper respect of authorities. This was important. Many times a gifted person can be re refused to be moved into a position because he does not handle the social aspect of his job well. One of the plugs I gave Andy when he was coming to find a job here, it's something I recognized in him. That's When you get into IT work, there's what you call nerds. And sometimes the social qualities of that is not so good, but you have to deal with people. That's something Andy was I'd seen in him. He had that ability uh, to, to deal with people and, and that he would be accepted. And he was really good at that. And it, was, it was perfect. But sometimes you can be limited if you don't have the social skills. Daniel needed those skills. We must understand that this is teachable and learnable. We should teach our children to be good listeners and responders, always with a passion, listen to this, to learn and grow. That success is not identified by achievement though we may have achievements, but rather, here, here's what success is. By a state of continual learning and growth, you never arrive. You just keep learning, and you keep growing, and you keep learning, and you keep growing. That's, that's what a Christian is. You never arrive. I don't know of anybody that I would say, boy, it looks just like and acts like, exactly like Jesus Christ. But we are to continually go toward that. Sometime... So learning becomes personal and difficult. Some have to overcome some shyness. 
while others need some restraint. We were at the Reds game, and the one lady in front of me needed some restraint in that area. <laughs> just a wop, wop, wop. It's like, turn around and watch the game. <laughs> oh. But we need to identify and gently and caringly guide them in the right direction, all under the heading of what we talked about last week, nurture and admonition. These gifts got Daniel in the door, the, God, the place God wanted him to be. Daniel 1.3, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Now Daniel was in a group with the king's family members and the princes of the kingdom. But let's get this straight. We are never to blend with the world. We may work together with unbelievers in a common purpose in our job, but we are to be unique, set apart, holy, above all. You know, I try to challenge all my children to be that. That's your testimony. That's your strength. That's everything you have in life to give glory to God. You ought to stand out like a sore thumb. How does this take place? I would cite two very important things in Daniel's life. Number one, he had deep-seated convictions. He was determined to live in the fear of God and follow His commandments. Daniel 1.5, And the king appointed to them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now many Christians might justify the eating of steak and drinking some alcohol. They might even state that the scripture says that we should obey those that have the rule over you. But look at verse 8 in Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. My guess is that Daniel must have read, meditated upon, perhaps put to memory, maybe his parents taught him these things, the words of Solomon before him. Proverbs 23.1, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shall thou vomit up and loose thy sweet words. You know, Daniel always had sweet words. He didn't lose them. He took God seriously. We talked about that this morning. It's what God did. We are to, to take his word seriously and obey it. Daniel had deep-seated conviction, but he also had a respectful relationship with mankind, part of which God supernaturally gave him. This is pretty interesting, Daniel 1.9. Now God had brought to Daniel into favor and tender love with the princes of the eunuchs, with the prince of the eunuchs, 
But there are times that God works out positive relationships with the unsaved in his plan. He just works it out. But we will find out that God also works out negative relationships with the unsaved at times. Those who would go about in trickery to land Daniel in a den of hungry lions, yet nonetheless still a part of God's plan. Nick was talking about some situation he's dealing with. Which way do I go? You need wisdom. And who knows what God's trying to work out. We also notice that Daniel had care and respect for the position he was putting the eunuch in. Daniel 1.10 said, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse? liking than the children which are of your sort. Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. <laughs> then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. He made it something that was reasonable. You know, he didn't come up and say, hey, God's got this thing in control. You know, you're going to have to figure this out, buddy. You know, you need to be saved. You know, and just get over the top and, and have, he, he had respect. He understood who people were. He understood how to have a respectful relationship, but he knew also how to stand. And God gave him great wisdom in the, mean, in the meantime. James 3.8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Again, we need to have a right outlook at, on all people. Daniel had a right heart for mankind. He used his words wisely. And we have a lot to learn from Daniel through this. And a lot to teach our children about. A new progression happened with Daniel as his with, and his companions as a result of his resolve and purpose for God and his understanding and respect for mankind. Daniel 1.19 And the king communed with them, and among them was all found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, as, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Now they stood out above the other non-believers. You're going to see a progression here. Sometimes we don't make it to that. But we, we need to stand out. But this is just one step closer to the next step, the ultimate step where God will get the glory and see lives changed for God and, and an entire nation changed. Daniel 3, 23, if you want to turn there. It says, And these three men, you know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. They, they took a stand. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he said, and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed. And, and if you've ever been out camping out by the fire, <laughs> this is a pretty amazing statement. Nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, listen what he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speaketh anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. That's like Joe Biden making a statement. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> Maybe one of your kids are going to be raised up to be like a Daniel. Who knows? Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 25. the buddy of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel. It says, Then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. This is after Daniel went into the lion's den and survived. He says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And steadfast forever in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. But perhaps Daniel's response to the king best reveals the character of Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 20. It says, And when he came to the den, the king, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Now listen to the response. Listen carefully to the response of Daniel. This is going to tell you a lot about Daniel. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. What an overwhelming response to the authority of a king and of service to him. And then he says, My God hath sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. He gives recognition to God. To God be the glory of what he's done. And then he says this, For as much as 
Before him, innocency was found in me. Now think about that statement. To me, that says, Daniel says, I wasn't sure. I'm not that sure of myself. Am I, have I really served God? Am I deserving in this? He was so humble in his heart, he never presumed anything that he was right and he knew that this was going to happen. There was a concern. Who knows? Only God knows the heart. That's a pretty tremendous, that reveals a lot about who Daniel was as a person. And he said, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no matter and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in God. There's where it all starts. He believed in God. And you see in his life the fulfillment of believing in God. Now why was Daniel so favored by the king? All this character resulted in a singularly described trait, two words. Daniel 6.3, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. This is just a generalization of the message. We'll get next week into some points and how we can develop these kind of things. But it's really what we're seeking to do is provide an excellent spirit in our children. We should seek to have that ourselves and we should seek for our children to have that. There's nothing, when you see a kid with an excellent spirit, it's precious. It's precious. It's powerful. I don't see it a whole lot, but I see it sometimes. And I'm in awe about it. With heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano's coming to play. God-given gifts. Gifts to be developed. Gifts that position you to make a stand. Gifts that open great effectual doors where you can make a grand and proper stand for God. Gifts and a proper stance result in one thing, giving God the glory. Dare to raise a Daniel. Dare for him to stand alone or she. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare
Thank you, Mrs. Reader, for filling in there. This is some groundwork on this, but we're going to get to a lot of specifics next week and things that we can we can do, things that you can grab a hold of, and I think we'll be practical and, and help you in this, this area of this person that you're raising. This person that before he was born, before you were born, was known of what he was going to do. His life is hidden in Christ to get him saved, to get him under the Word of God, to teach him the proper use of their gifts, and to see the gifts in others, to work together, to give God the glory. Man, it's not an easy task. But we can, God's given us all the tools we need to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Lord, I pray you spoke to our hearts and lives this morning that you've encouraged us to be in awe of your creation and your children and to work together as parents, as families, as siblings, as pastors, as teachers, as through the church and in the home to raise up families and excellence for you. And we'll thank you for it before we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.